So everybody's got pages open. Matthew 18, marked. 2 Samuel 12, marked. And uh, before I pray, I'm going to just give you a little insight as to what kind of the heart, my heart is for, for our congregation, for my own life. I got back from Israel and, and uh, one night Madeline and I were making cookies. Actually, I was just eating the dough. Madeline was making the cookies. That's my part, eat the dough. Uh, but, you know, she was only making half a batch, and so she had to um, do some calculations. You know, she said, Dad, what's, what's half of three quarters? And, and, you know, I know she's had math and done equations and, and fractions and all that stuff, but then when it comes to, you know, you can do that stuff on paper, but then when you're looking at the recipe and having to figure out what's, what's half of three quarters, some of you are going, yeah, what is half of three quarters? Uh, sometimes, thank you, three-eighths, we've got it right over there. But sometimes that the information you learn on the paper and in the test doesn't translate to the real-life application of it. You can, you can look at the paper and answer the question, but when it comes to making cookies, you have to figure out how does what I learned in math class apply to this situation I'm in right now. And, and the Word of God is so much like that, isn't it? It's one thing. We can come in here and we can uh, make a, a mental acknowledgement that we understand these things and we know. But the real prayer is that when it comes time to make the cookies, we know how this works out in real time. When it, when it comes time to our relationships with each other, our, our, the way we serve and work and, uh, in the community, with our neighbors, all those things, that somehow what we read, we have to do more than just know it. We have to understand it. And if we understand it, then we can apply it. And as a matter of fact, if you, don't, if you can't apply it, then that shows that you probably haven't understood it. So, that's my prayer this morning. Let's pray, and we'll get into Matthew chapter 18. Father, as we um, are back together again, Father, I thank you for bringing everyone here to gather, to hear from you, to praise you, uh, that you put a song in our hearts today, Lord. Even if times are tough, we, we still have this glorious song in our heart. A song of hope, a song of joy, a song of victory. And Lord, uh, I pray that you would just use me, Lord, this morning. I am an imperfect man uh, that serve you in in such an imperfect way. And yet, Lord, I, I know that you can use me just as you used Balaam's donkey. That you can use this donkey of a man to still speak and reason truth from the scriptures. And I pray, Lord, that the hearts in this room would be ready to hear and that you would give us not just the knowledge by your spirit, Lord, but you would give us the understanding of these things. Lord, we just submit our minds to you. We submit our eyes, our ears, our hands, our our mouths, our feet, our legs, everything to you this morning, just freshly surrendered to you right now, Lord. Open our eyes that we might see wondrous things from your word. And we pray these things because we can in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen, amen. So, Matthew 18 is where we are. Uh, Matthew as a whole, the biography, the the life story of of Jesus, um, his words, his deeds, the things he taught uh, we are getting closer and closer to the cross. Matter of fact, Palm Sunday, we will be reading the Palm Sunday passage here. That worked out wonderfully. So he's got, Jesus has this limited time with his disciples as far as, again, his teaching them about the kingdom. The kingdom of God operates differently than the kingdom of man. The kingdom of God has a whole different set of principles than what we have learned growing up oftentimes. And that the way that... that people practice, the way that that people do things is oftentimes radically different, opposite, as a matter of fact, from the way the kingdom of God operates. And so you get saved, and you come to church, and you can't can't bring in all the ways you operated before you were saved, because those things no longer apply in the kingdom. And so this is why Jesus is taking all this time to have to restructure the minds of these disciples, teach them just what life is like in the kingdom. And so in the beginning of chapter 18, we dealt with humility. They were arguing about what, folks? What were, they, what were they getting upset with each other about? 
right? Who's the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? They were competing with one another. And, and who knows what was said and what was done during that discussion? I mean, we can only imagine what happens when people are vying for greatness to be recognized and to be acknowledged as the best. You step on other people. You say things you shouldn't say about other people. And these things happen. And so this whole chapter in Matthew 18 has been dealing with humility in and among our our brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, how do we deal with sin? Um, How do we deal with sin in our own lives? How do we deal with sin uh, when when it's in somebody else does it to us? And and those of you that have been uh, around more than 10 days in this world can say amen. I mean, we know people sin against us, and we sin against other people. We miss the mark. We fall short. We blow it. And, and so many times, we didn't even mean it. We just like woke up this morning and, and said something, and it came out wrong. And these things happen. So back in verse 15 of chapter 18, Jesus is teaching them, what happens when someone sins against you? Man, they step on your toes. Uh, they offend you somehow. And he tells, you know, you go to him. You tell him the fall between you and him alone. If the person hears you, man, the relationship is restored. And we talked about that. But there's been an assumption there that now Peter picks up on as we start today in in verse 21. See, the assumption is you go to your brother and he hears you. And the the assumption is that you forgive him when he hears you. and, And the relationship is then restored. So Peter, in verse 21 comes to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Now, I like this. I mean, because this is the question we all have. Peter picks up on this this wonderful little nuance. And again, I'm just thinking, you know, Peter's a married guy. He's got a wife. He's got a mother-in-law. Jesus had healed her. And and so... uh, I'm wondering, and we know Peter, he's just the guy, the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth is what we call him, you know, but he's thinking, how, how you know, has he been offended? Did Andrew say something? That her, did John say something to him in this whole discussion? That And a repeated offense, this thing keeps happening. You ever know, or is that you? I mean, are you like that? Is there other things in your, that you just, you just want to be different? But you keep doing the same thing over and over again, no matter how hard you try, you keep offending your wife, guys. You just, you know, you can't, haven't learned to just zip it and say it looks fine. We do, we, we just have these areas that sometimes we just are repeat offenders. And so Peter is asking the, the repeat offender himself, how often shall I, shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? How would you answer that question? What's the principle you live by in your life? I mean, some of you would say, none, zero. Uh, If you offend me once, that's it. We're done. I'm moving on. I've got no time for you if you offend me. Maybe some of you would say that, none. Maybe, Maybe you wouldn't say that, but that's how you are. Maybe others would say, one time. You get you get one shot, I'll give you a second chance. But if you blow that, we're done. And, you know, we, our minds, look, I, I, know, I know many of you. And I know the things, when we talk about forgiveness, look, this is huge in the church. This is huge in life. And so many people carry around unforgiveness from the past, and it totally taints everything you do. And some of those things that are unforgiven are huge things. Emotional, physical, sexual abuses, things that have, I mean, I know, I, I, I know what you guys have been through. And I've studied, and I've, because it's such a big deal, on my own personal time, I've done a lot of research into forgiveness. You know, I remember when the Amish families had their kids shot and killed in their school, and the stories of forgiveness that came out of that, and how they actually tried to minister to the shooter, you know, and the shooter and the family and all these things, and um, forgiveness. And then, South Africa, apartheid, and all the things that happened under apartheid government in South Africa. Read a book called, by Desmond Tutu called No Future Without Forgiveness about the future of their, their country and how it rested on the need for forgiveness. And, and, a, and a video, a documentary by a woman who was one of the twins that Dr. Mengele experimented on 
during the Holocaust and, and her uh, desire to forgive and how people were mad at her for forgiving because that was dishonorable to her relatives and all the other people that died in the Holocaust. So this is a complicated issue, but so much of the forgiveness is day-to-day things. You know, I come home from, from Israel, and I've got this sweater. You know, I don't buy a lot of clothes. I'm not a big shopper guy. I find, like, something I like, and I wear it for 17 years, you know. Um, and I got this, this great Columbia. Uh, I don't even know where I got it. I haven't had it for a number of years. It's this great Columbia sweater, and it's all wool. And I get home, and, and Helga's feeling sick. And by the way, I always check with my family before I tell you guys any stories, just so you know. Uh, Helga knows I'm telling the story, okay? It has her, permi- have her permission. So uh, I get home, and, and she's feeling sick, but she tries to, she does the laundry and doesn't notice that my wool sweater's in there, throws it in the laundry, and I, and I pick it up, and I'll go, oh, no. That's, that's the, if any of you guys have, like, seven- or eight-year-olds that need a new sweater, just let me know. I've got one now. Uh, You know, and, and, and it, so then, because she's sick, Madeline the next day decides to do laundry, and, and I have this other little wool, wool shirt <laughs> that I bought. It's kind of an underlayer thing, and I bought it to go to Israel. And anyway, it's wool, and it says, you know, you can't put it in the dryer. And so Madeline did laundry, didn't know, didn't notice, didn't check the tag. And so if you need an underlayer to go with your wool sweater for your eight-year-old, I've got one of those too. So twice, it's, you know. It's like, oh, how often do I have? And I'm teaching on forgiveness this week, right? So these day-to-day things that, that come up, you know, someone steps on your toes or unmet. You ever have someone that just doesn't meet up to your expectations? You know, you just thought they were going to do this and they did that and you get upset with them and, or someone you heard gossip about you and there's a thousand different things and ways people can offend us. And so if you are easily offended, you have to be even better at forgiveness, Matter of fact, I think the better you are at forgiveness, the less easily you will, the less easily offended you become. So the question is, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive? Is, is it twice? Is it three times? Is it three strikes and you're out? The rabbis taught that you would forgive three times, and the fourth time there was no forgiveness. And I think that's generous compared to some of what the way we live. So when Peter says, how many times? Up to seven times? I mean, he's being like over the top generous, isn't he? I mean, he's like seven. Tell me, I mean, let's be honest this morning. Let's, really, let's, let's put, you know, all pretenses, let's be honest. How many times would we forgive someone seven times? I mean, really. If someone offended you seven times, would you really? The same thing they've done to you seven different times. I'm thinking by time three, you're going, okay, I'm done with you. We are done. I can't even be in, involved with this anymore. So seven times would be even generous for this group, this Christian group, right? And I say that very purposely because this is, Jesus is going to tell a radical parable and it is going to challenge every one of us in this room to forgive and, and, and why we forgive. And while I mention forgive, I probably should define that because there's a lot of questions, and please understand that this morning, we are, this is not going to be a full treatise on forgiveness. It, forgiveness is the kind of thing, you know, you just need to keep learning about it because there's a lot of questions about it. But Jesus, in, in this story, makes it so simple. He, it's so uncomplicated. But forgiveness, the word that's used for forgiveness is the same word that means to divorce or to put away from yourself. And so... Uh, matter of fact, Psalm, let, me, let me read something to you real quick. Uh, if you'd like to cross-reference, I didn't give you this one, but Psalm 103 is an awesome psalm about forgiveness. It says, uh, don't go there, just listen for just a second. You can write Psalm 103, but don't turn there. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What are his benefits? Who forgives all your iniquities. Now, down farther in Psalm 103, it's explained a little bit. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. 
As, the, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. So, so but far as the east is from the west, that's how far he removes our transgressions from us. So here we are. We're here. And he takes our transgressions, the way we've crossed the line, our sins, and he removes them from us. See, we used to be joined to them. They were part of us. Just like a husband and a wife, two become one flesh. But when a divorce happens, those two things are separated. And so the thing about forgiveness is the ability to forgive someone is the ability to separate them from what they've done to hurt you. And to then treat them as an individual, we're called to love people. We're not called to get revenge and to hold grudges. We're called to love. And so sometimes it's hard to love someone because we see them locked in tight with their sin the way they hurt us. But when you can separate that out, hey, that's just, that's Steve, and Steve did this thing, but that doesn't mean Steve is, is, is still not Steve to me. Because believe me, where, you know, in my life, I, I just sometimes, I just talk and offend you. You know, I just say the wrong thing, and man, it just happens. So it's the ability to separate out the person from what they've done, to, to separate those things. So that's just a little definition of forgiveness, like, like a uh, forgiving a debt, same type of idea. All right, so we, we try to answer this question one time, two times, three times, no times, seven times. What's the answer? Well, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times. That's not what I said. That's the, But up to 70 times seven. Now, those mathematicians in here will figure out that's 490 times. But is that the idea? Is that, all right, you know, do you sit there, you've been married for 56 years, and you're going, okay, that's number 375. Okay, number 300, you're getting close now. I'm almost free. I don't have to forgive you anymore. Is that the idea that Jesus is trying to say? I mean, are we supposed to? You got, you got a little notebook with, you know, how many times, how many shrunken sweaters, you know? That's seven. That's eight. <laughs> no, that's not. The idea is, look, we are going to have and experience repeated offenses from one another. And that calls for repeated forgivenesses. Unlimited, ongoing, and repeated forgiveness. Because, look, the truth is, what was done can't be changed. It was done, right? The only thing that can change is the way you handle what was done. Because once it's done, it's done. You can't change that. You can't take it back. And I'll tell you, well, let's keep going. 70 times 7. So then that leads in, because, I mean, now, now there's jaws, audibly jaws hitting the ground when, when Jesus says this. You can hear the gulp as he says, forgive. You know, remember, 3 was a big deal. Seven was off the charts. So 490, you know, meaning, again, limitless, just creates a real stir here. So therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children all that he had and that payment be made. Let's stop there. I, I want to, rather than read the whole thing, I want this to have the ongoing power that it would have had as Jesus was speaking it. So to do that, because we don't understand talents and we don't understand denarii, I think we need to explain these things so you get the weight of what's being said. So Jesus is going to teach them about unlimited and ongoing repeated forgiveness. And he uses a financial illustration because we understand being forgiven a debt, right? We understand owing somebody money and then them saying, well, you don't owe me that money anymore. It's, a, it's forgiveness. It's forgiving a debt. So he uses that. He talks about this king. And the king has evidently lent a lot of money to different people, particularly to this one guy. And he doesn't even know how much money's out there, how much money he's owed. So he gathers up his bookkeeper and his accountant. And he says, okay, guys, look, I feel like it's just time. We ought to, I feel like it's getting maybe out of hand. We need to, to just kind of see what's owed and, and start fresh again. Let's collect the debts that people owe, and, and then we'll start over. 
So he gathers them around, and as they're settling up these, these scores with people financially, they bring one guy. And what makes him stand out, this guy? Well, maybe you don't know, but uh, I think the 10,000 talents that he owes make him stand out. Now, that could be 10,000 pennies, which wouldn't be a whole lot. But you have to know this, 10,000 talents. Um, uh, let me jump ahead for a second. The next guy we meet is going to owe 100 denarii. Okay, a denarius is a, is a unit of money. It's a silver coin that represents one day's wage in that time. So you got one denarius. Now, a talent is 3,000 denarii, or 3,000 days wages. So those of you that are calculating this out are, are, are starting to put it together. So 10,000, 3,000 days wages would be 30 million days wages. 30 million days wages. That's what he owes. So what would that be today? You know, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of... Now, I don't know what this guy's problem is. He's got a spending issue, doesn't he? I mean, number one, we know the king is very wealthy to even have that kind of money to lend. Number two, we know this guy's got huge credit card debt. I mean, he's got, he's got spending issues to be able to accrue that amount of debt. So we don't know who he is, but we know he has this huge... So just to put it in perspective, to pay that back, because he, go, he goes on to say, you know, have patience with me, I'll pay it back. To pay that back, if he worked for 50 years every day of his life for that 50 years and gave every penny to that man, to the king, to repay him, it would take him 2,725 lifetimes to pay him back. That's a lot of money. So this is what he owes, 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and that a, a payment be made. So he's not going to get all of his money. But the guy, you know, a slave with 30 pieces of silver or something like that, his wife and, and children, all that being sold, plus all of his house, his car, you know, his lawnmower, whatever else he's got, all of that liquidated wouldn't even come close to paying back, but it would be something. So the servant, verse 26, says, the servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Is that realistic? No. So he's not being realistic about it. Um, but this, verse 27, you got to underline this. This is huge. This is unheard of. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion. Don't you wish like Wachovia or BB&T would read this passage, you know? Would they be moved with compassion? I just need a couple more days to get the money. The master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. Now, did the, the master, the king, did he have a right to collect that money? You bet he did. It was his money. It was never the other guy's money. It was his money. He just loaned it to him. So he had full every right to collect what he was owed from that person, from, from this servant. Really, the parable is called the, the, the parable of the unforgiving servant, but I think it should be better called the parable of the forgiving king. That's the incredible thing. Not that the servant was unforgiving. <laughs> That's common. We know that. The, the amazing thing is that here's a king who forgives a billion-dollar debt from one of his servants. But you've got to know this. Who's the king in this parable? It's God. God is the king. And I love, he sees the servant that he knows the guy, the guy can't ever possibly pay back. And it doesn't make him angry. It moves him with compassion. He sets him free and he forgives all his debt. And see, here's the thing I love about the kingdom of God. Is some of you have, have come, just, you just barely crawled in the door. You, you know, you don't even feel like you belong here. Because what you've done, if people could know what you've done, if people knew the way you have hurt others in the past, the way you've offended, the, way, the things that you've done. I mean, there's a lot of people in here that have done a lot of really nasty things, and you're looking at one. We've done some shameful things, haven't we, folks? And sometimes we feel like 
You know, in Israel, this was the interesting thing, going to Israel. You go to all the, the, the sites, the big, you know, the churches that are all built in and around these, the, um, the pilgrimage spots, you know, the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, and, you know, you go to Bethlehem, the Church of the Nativity, and, and they're all, um, <clears throat> I'm going to try to be very diplomatic as I say this, they're all very religious spots, and, and the religious men that, that are there serving, uh, they sort of make you feel, there's this feeling of, of like, I'm a nobody, Right? Like, I don't have the, the incense thing and I don't have the right clothes. And they totally don't even, like, look at you. I'm sure they're so used to tourists anyway. But uh, you just have this feeling of unworthiness. Like, there's no way I could ever even approach godliness compared to these guys. And that's what I love about the gospel is Jesus came right to us, right where we are. And, it, and here's... This guy had a huge debt he couldn't pay. And so God forgave it. The king forgave it. And you have to know that. That there is no debt that you have. There is no spiritual debt. There is no behavioral, moral debt that you could have before God that is too much for him to be able to forgive. Do you understand that? Do you understand that that's part of what this parable is teaching? So his master was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. Can, now, imagine the person, the bank that holds your mortgage. Let's say you buy a $6 million home. And it's like payments deferred, you know. And, but eventually it comes time to pay, and they come to collect, and you go, oh, I don't have $6 million. Even for your $150,000 house, your $200,000 house. Imagine if the bank called you up and said, hey, Steve. You know, this payment we've got with you, forget about it. Don't worry about it. Really? I mean, are you kidding me? Don't worry about my mortgage payment? Don't worry about my rent payment? Can you imagine the burden lifted? And, and catch this, the bigger the debt, the bigger the burden lifted. The, the, the worse sinner you've been, the greater the, the, the sense of freedom when you're forgiven. The one who is forgiven much does what, folks? <coughs> Loves much. The one who's, and part of the problem is we, we come here before God and we go, I'm a pretty good person. You will never get it. You will absolutely never get the Christian life if you continue to hold on to the lie that somehow you, God only needed a little bit of grace to save you because you were such a good person. Do you understand, I mean, do you understand that? That you, I mean, if we could just read your thoughts from the last week, it'd be pretty embarrassing, wouldn't it? The way we have pride, the way we look and we judge others, the way we're critical about others, the way we covet stuff, lust in our hearts, murder. I mean, we're murderers if we're angry at our brother. We're murderous, adulterous, lying coveters. <laughs> But we're forgiven. Oh, so so you, gotta get, you can't get on with this thing until you acknowledge before God, I ain't as good as I think I am. And I needed a lot of forgiveness. And when you get that, that will humble you sufficiently to then forgive others. And that's the point. Let's go on. This burden. Imagine the burden lifted from this guy. I mean, ah, this billion-dollar debt like the, the, well, our national debt is a little bit more than that. <laughs> 56 trillion, I looked it up this morning. And, I think it would be about 145,000 if the, if the world called in the United States debt. It would be about 145,000 per taxpayer, a debt we couldn't pay. That's another story. Uh, verse 28, let's move on. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. That's like three months' pay. Now, now could that guy have paid it back? Sure, I mean, three months, you know, you pay a little here, a little there. You come up with a plan. So this guy owed him three, uh, 100 denarii, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servants fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Where have you heard that before? That's exactly what he had said to the king. Have patience with me, I'll pay it all. So this guy says, have patience with me, I'll pay it all. And he could have. He really could have. The other guy couldn't, but he could have. So this guy is over the top 
What does he do? After this guy falls down, begs him, well, you figure that he, the guy doesn't owe any money. If he still owed the money, he'd be going out trying to get money anywhere he could to try to pay the master. But he has no debt anymore. His old debt's been forgiven. So now when he needs this 100 denarii, instead of letting the guy go, he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. But um, I think I skipped the part there. Let me see. Have patience with me. I'll be, threw him into prison till he should pay. So when his fellow servants saw it, isn't there a part where he grabs him by the throat? Took, oh, there. Did I read that already? Yeah. That's the good part. We can't miss that. That's violent. We got to get this. Thing. And he, he laid hands on him, took him by the throat. Pay me with you. I mean, can you imagine that? So he's way over the top for three months running. He's got this guy by the throat ready to shake him down, put him in some concrete shoes, you know, and, and get this. He's got never. I'm not going to make any Italian jokes there. I'll be careful. Um, Ray will get me, right, Ray? <laughs> so would you say he's over? He's being too harsh because, look, we're supposed to say that we're supposed to see this guy and go, man, that's so wrong. Do you know why we're supposed to do that? Because as we're reading this parable, as we're looking at that, we're saying that's so wrong. He shouldn't do that. We are judging ourselves. Do you see that? We are being, it's a setup. When you came into church this morning and you're reading the Bible, you are being set up to condemn yourself. You know that, right? You're never coming back here again. I went there, they just set me up. So when his fellow servants saw, look, other people see the way we treat each other. When his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant. Man, that's hard words. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want to hear you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Now, here's the question. Verse 33. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? I could give you all the psychological reasons why forgiveness is a necessity for you. I mean, unforgiveness just keeps you. Unforgiveness is a way to punish and continually punish in your mind the person who's hurt you. It's the way to continually make them pay for what they've done, except they're out having a good time. And you're really punishing yourself, and you can't ever forget it because you keep replaying the darn tape in your mind, and you keep bringing it up, and so you can't forget it because it's always on your mind. And you can't really forget until you forgive, until you let it go. Then you can start to forget. And I could go through all the psychological reasons and all the emotional reasons why you should forgive. But you know what? I don't have to. Because Jesus gives one reason. What's that reason? You should forgive because you were forgiven. And the amount that anybody, any look, any myself or anybody else in here that offends you, no matter what they've done, no matter how bad it is or how many times they do it, it will never equal up to what you've been forgiven by God. Never. It never will. And that's why you forgive. Because you want it for yourself, right? You want to do unto others as you would have others do to you. And God says, I set the standard for you. So all you have to do is do what God has done for you. You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me? Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry. I don't want to make God angry. I want to make God happy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. His master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So that debt that had been forgiven, the king says, I'm reinstituting it. You owe me again. Because, and this is a tough, this is a tough saying. He said, I'm going to deliver you to the torturers. To try to, all right, maybe he's got some money. You're not telling me. But you got, it's, it's, it's. You know, it's the guys that, that, that grab you in the alleyway and they you know, threaten to bust your legs until you tell, okay, okay, I'll tell you where my safe is. I'll tell you where the money is. So they're going to torture him to see if there's any other places he's got money until he pays all. But 
if he's tossed into prison, if he's being tortured, is he ever going to be able to pay it all, folks? You see, this is not purgatory. This is not, I don't know if this is the verse that some people used to teach about purgatory, that somehow after you die, you go someplace and, and you suffer for a time until all your sin is purged and then you go to heaven. That's not the idea here. The idea here is, is that it's never, that you could never pay it all. If you're being tortured, you can't be at work, can you? You can't be, well, maybe work is torture. That's another, that's another story altogether. You have to know this too, folks, that there's no religious routine that you can go through that can pay off your, your spiritual moral debt to God. It doesn't matter. No matter how many times you say this prayer or you go through that motion or you show up and attend this Bible study or you do that thing, or none of those things, you know, I, I use the example of let, let's all get in, in we're going to go out to the, to the beach at Virginia Beach. We're all going to get in the ocean. And you guys know how I floated in the Dead Sea. I'll have you all know. Did you see that? That was cool. And Gene, too. Neither of us are very good swimmers. But there we were floating in the Dead Sea. Uh, so even if it was the Dead Sea, we started swimming to England. We're going to swim to Great Britain. How many, any really good swimmers in there? You won't admit it anyway. But some, some good swimmers. Okay, I'm not a good swimmer. So I might make it like, if I make it a mile, that's a miracle. But maybe you good swimmers, how far are you going to... 50 miles? Can you swim 50 miles? Can you swim 1,000 miles? I mean, how far is it from here to Great Britain? Pretty soon we'd all drown, right? Because as many good things, as many good strokes as we could take, it's not going to be enough. And that's the point, religiously speaking, there it just what we do, we do for joy. We do because we're free to do it. We do because we just want to live to please the one who forgave us, not because we're trying to pay off our debt. Verse 35, so my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you, what's that say? From his heart, does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Too much lip service in the church, folks. Too much lip service. Too much, oh, I forgave him, but I'm not forgetting it. And if it's changed the way you deal with that person. You know, I remember it was a a while ago. When, when forgiveness really hit home for me, um, I'd, I'd heard something was said about me. Someone had come and told me, you know, what had been said about me by somebody else. And someone in the, in the church. And I remember thinking, really? I, mean, I thought they were a friend. I can't believe they would say that about me, you know. And, and then I remember um, I was going to be seeing that person the next day. And uh, I just, I remember in my mind like being a little upset, you know, thinking here I am going to see this person. And then I remembered that, that I had gone through the process. Oh, no, I need to forgive them. I need to just forgive them. And so as I'm about to see them, I'm getting a little angry. And, I'm, and I said, no, no, I, if I'm getting angry, that means I'm, I'm going to treat them as if, in, as if they're still connected to that sin, but I forgave them. So I can't, if I forgave it, I can't take it back. So I have to treat them the way that I would treat them before it ever happened because I've forgiven them. And it really helped. It really helped. And, and so that's the way this works out. Um, some people can be really unforgiving. And what you're saying is if you're unforgiving, what you're saying is I think people should pay what they owe. And what you're ultimately saying is I think I should pay what I owe too because you want a different standard for yourself, right? You want a standard for you versus somebody else. So you're saying, well, I think you should pay, but I should be forgiven. And God says no double standard. The kingdom of God operates one way, is that we don't get what we deserve. And if you want to be part of the kingdom of God, you have to operate that way too. Because he says, look, this is way, you know, if you, if, if you forgive, God forgives you. And if you don't forgive, now I didn't, I didn't write this, please. I, I'd, I'd write something much different than this. So would you. So my, let's just, so my heavenly father also will do to you. What, what will he do to you? His master was angry, delivered him, torturers should pay all that he was doing. Do you want God to hold you accountable for all the ways that you've sinned against him when the time of reckoning comes for you? When you stand at the judgment seat, do you want God to judge you based on all that you've done in your life? 
Do you want to, do you, do you want to try to pay him back? for what, what's the, Here's the problem, folks. The currency of, of forgiveness isn't even gold or silver or religious deeds. It's blood. Blood. Perfect, sinless blood of a lamb. That's the only... Now, you got lamb's blood. You got perfect blood. You never sinned in your life. Then your blood can pay the price. But it's not true for any of us. So there is no currency. There is only one currency you can bring to the Father for forgiveness, and that is the currency of the blood of the precious lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth so we could have forgiveness of our debts, the debt freed far as the east is from the west, and God no longer deals with you according to that. It's done, it's over, it's gone. And so we ought to be quick to forgive others, amen? So as we close out, um, the question, now, now the hard work begins, folks. And you know what I prayed, that this wouldn't just be book knowledge, but it, that it'd be something that we really go home. And as I was preparing, I sat with Helga on the couch. I said, is there anyone in my life I need to forgive? Do you know of anyone I'm holding a grudge against? Do you know of anyone who I've really, you know, uh, distanced myself from because of a way I'm holding a grudge against them? Are you guys, I mean, nod your head if you're still with me, okay? Do we have, can I have five more minutes of your time? Because uh, I had you mark 2 Samuel. I want to see, I want you, to, let's go to 2 Samuel real quick. And I'm, this isn't going to be a huge teaching section, but just something to see. Because in 2 Samuel chapter 12, uh, 11, we have um, uh, David and Bathsheba. How many of you guys know the story of David, David and Bathsheba? All right, David commits adultery. David commits murder. And then he hides it basically for a year. He sits on it until God sends Nathan the prophet. And Nathan tells David a parable, just like I told you this morning. And, and David recognizes the guilt of the man in the parable. And Nathan says to him, David, that's you. You're the man. You're the man who sinned that way. And then all of a sudden, David realizes it. That, wow. And, and that's in 2 Samuel 12. Look at verse 13, after he's confronted about this, verse 13, so David said to Nathan the prophet, I have sinned against the Lord. That's called confession. When you finally recognize it for yourself, I, he doesn't say, well, it's my parents' fault. I, I grew up bad. I had, my brothers never liked me. They made me be the shepherd guy. I'm the smallest one. I got red hair, whatever it is. He just says, I have sinned against the Lord. And look at what Nathan says to David. The Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. You see, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. So, hey, you did it, David. There's going to be consequences to it, but the Lord, you're not going to die. The Lord is forgiving. He's putting away your sin. Now, fast forward in 2 Samuel to chapter 16. Verse 5. Now, when King David came to Bahurim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera, coming from there. He came out cursing continuously as he came, and he threw stones at David and all the servants of David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shimei said thus when he cursed, Come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. So now you are caught in your own evil, because you are a bloodthirsty man. Nah, nah, nah. I mean, you know, this guy is laying in to David, isn't he? You ever had someone lay into you? Oh, yeah, we have. And we, how do we deal with that? Well, Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, says to the king, Hey, David, you know, why are we going to let this dead dog curse you like that? Let me go over and uh, take off his head. I'm like, good idea. You know, that because with the head is the mouth, and that deals with the problem altogether. But he says, don't do it. But read down a little bit. Um, let's go down to um, verse 13. And as David and his men went along the road, Shimei uh, went along the hillside opposite him and cursed him as he went, threw stones at him, and kicked up dust. Now, that's a guy I don't want to hang around with anymore. 
right? That's the guy. Are you going to forgive him? Well, let's see what David does with it. Now, remember what David has just gone through. He's just, just a couple chapters ago, uh, Bathsheba, uh, having murder, adultery. Now, fast forward again to chapter or to Second Samuel, verse uh, chapter nineteen. Now, David's finally coming in to uh, Judah to be accepted as their king. So they're they're finally acknowledging him. He was kind of a king on the run, but now he's being welcomed back in. They're acknowledging everyone's acknowledging him as the king. So, verse fifteen of ni- chapter nineteen says, "Then the king returned and came to the Jordan." And Judah came to Gilgal to meet the king, to escort the king across the Jordan. So he's come to the Jordan River. They're going to escort him across back into Judah. And who's there? Verse 16, Shemai, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, who was from Bahurim, where we last met him. He hurried and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. There were a thousand men of Benjamin with him. And Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his 15 sons, and blah, 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 blah. Uh, verse 18, then a ferry boat went across to carry over the king's household and do what he thought good. Now, Shammai, the son of Gera, fell down before the king when he had crossed the Jordan. Then he said to the king, do not let my Lord impute iniquity to me or remember what was wrong or what, what wrong your servant did on the day that my Lord, the king, left Jerusalem. That's what we read before, that the king should take it to heart. I mean, hey, king, look, let's let bygones be bygones. You know, uh, don't take that to heart. He says, verse 20, for I, your servant, know that I have sinned. Therefore, here I am, the first to come today of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my Lord, the king. Now, the world speaks. Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, answered and said, shall not Shammai be put to death for this because he cursed the Lord's anointed? I mean, look, you're, you know, how dare he do that? You're the king now. I mean, let's, let's deal with this guy. Let's set a prayer. Let's show people how the king deals with with infidels, with people that are going to talk to you that way. Let's get him. And David said, verse 22, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah, that you should be adversaries to me today? Shall any man be put to death today in Israel? For do I not know that today I am king over Israel? Therefore the king said to Shammai, You shall not die. And the king swore to him. Now, isn't that the exact word David heard from Nathan when he had said, I've sinned? And now here's someone coming to David that sinned against him, saying the same thing, hey, I know I've sinned against you. And David says, you know what? I know I'm a man who received forgiveness. I mean, read Psalm 51. Blessed is the man to whom God doesn't impute iniquities. And he says, so what? You know what? You know, who? Let, I'm going to forgive him. He's, you're not going to die. You're forgiven. And I like this one thing I want to note before we, we close out today. He says, For do I not know that today I am the king over Israel? That was God's plan all along for David. Even when Shammai was cursing him, did it change God's plan for him? So when someone curses at you, when someone hurts you, when someone offends you, does that somehow change God's plan for you? Sometimes it contributes to it. Sometimes it's part of it. They're not going to take away something from you. They, like, like somehow they're going to mess up God's plan for your life by trying to put you down or hurt you or curse at you. So you've got to know this. Number one, you've been forgiven a ton, folks. Number two, God's got a plan. And, it, and whatever anybody does to you, whatever the way they offend you, doesn't change God's plan for you. And number three, be quick to forgive. Keep short accounts because life is a vapor. So who is it, folks, in your life that you need to forgive today? I'm not talking about go home and pray about it. I'm talking about pray about it right now. And, forget, and you know what? A great thing to do is to go out and say, you know what? I know for a long time I've distanced myself from you because I've harbored resentment for something you did 10 years ago or 30 years ago in your family. And today I want you to know that under the conviction of God, His Word, and the Holy Spirit, I am forgiving you, and I want to start over again. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? And they're going to say, what kind of drugs you've been taking, you know? As Phil and the praise team come up, I know I went a little bit long today, but I haven't preached for two weeks, so I'm kind of overflowing. 
So let's just take the next couple of minutes just sitting where you are and praying. You know, ask your husband, ask your, your kids, ask your, your wife, who is it in our lives that at their funeral we're going to wish we had forgiven? And do it today. Pray about it. Just play something. Uh, yeah, if someone, Ed, could you just dim the lights for us, please? while the praise team prays, just take a minute and pray. Maybe there's someone you know needs to forgive you. Pray that God would speak to them about forgiving you. Or just flat out give him thanks because he's forgiven you. I mean, imagine an unforgiving God. Can you imagine that? Never knowing if God, how he would deal with us, knowing that we were under his anger. We take it for granted, don't we, folks? Let's do this. I just want to see a show of hands. Uh, if you're willing to admit or, or the Lord's really worked on your heart that there's someone in your life that, that you need to forgive. Anybody willing to, to say, there's, okay, there's a lot of forgiveness needs to happen. And I know it's hard. And I know this is, you're facing something very difficult. And so we're just going to pray before you guys go that the Spirit of God would so overtake you and so humble you by showing you how much He's forgiven you that, um, and that the experience of forgiveness is so overwhelmingly powerful in your life and the life of the one you're forgiving that it would just bring complete glory to God. Let's pray. Father, um, you know every circumstance that has been represented by a raised hand, whether it's family or coworker or previous church or current church or, or a spouse or children or any situation, parents, uh, whatever the case is, Lord. I just know that you are wanting to release burdens in people's lives, that you're wanting to reconcile. And I pray that that after each of us leave this room this morning, that we would not put off the forgiveness. That steps would be taken to, to extend that forgiveness both in our hearts and in reality, Lord. And I pray that your spirit would fill each one. That we would have the mind of Christ. And that we too, Lord, would would have short accounts that we would forgive. And find joy in it. And I pray that in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Amen. And final thought, if you have something, a deeper issue, and you want to talk more about how forgiveness applies to your life and your situation, Call the office, come and see me or one of the elders.